0: That's ixl.com slash BE. Welcome to Transformative Principle where we interview real principals who are doing amazing things to help our students every single day. I'm your host Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Let's, why don't you start Bob by uh, talking about who you are, where you're from, how you got to where you are, and a brief history of what makes you you.
1: Hi, uh, my name is Bob Sanju. I've been in public education for 24 years. Uh, I started out as a special educator and moved into administration after teaching for nine years. Uh, i currently at the district level as a district administrator over K-12 learning for the Washington County School District. Um, always knew I wanted to be a teacher. In fact, I wanted to be a language arts teacher for uh, as long as I could remember, and I got to the end of my um, college career and realized that I didn't know if I wanted to teach language arts for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. So I went into uh, the counselor and said, I need to change my major. I don't know what I need to major in, but I need a job. And they said special education. And I said, sign me up. I don't know what it is, but that's uh, that's what I need to get a job. And, and uh, so I'm a little embarrassed to say that I wish I I initially had this, this burning desire to help kids with disabilities, but it was more uh, to be employed. After about a month in the classroom working with uh, uh, those students that are traditionally underserved that uh, desperately need our help uh, in order to be successful, I, I fell in love with, with that work and with the students. And, and, um, and, and those traditionally underserved students are those that drive me uh, in the work that I do today, so
0: that's awesome um, yeah. and and you don't just care about those students that are underserved though you care about them a lot. you also care about students, all students and that was something that that rod who who said I should interview you said was was one of your hallmarks was that you work diligently to ensure that all students are doing better and not just focusing on anyone subgroup or anything like that. And I think that's really awesome too.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. We want to ensure that every one of our students that enter our schools or our system have the necessary skills and the abilities to be successful, not only in school, but, uh, but in life. And so,
0: yeah, yeah. that's great. Um, You were a, uh, you were a vice principal for nine years. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, How did that time as a vice principal prepare you to become um, a principal that was as amazing as as it sounds like you were?
1: Well, um, it was interesting because I I was a special education teacher and I coached prior to getting into administration. And I learned a lot uh, through those two disciplines, Mm -hmm. uh, the importance of solving problems and working with people and focusing on the right things. As I moved into school administration, that's a whole different world, mm-hmm. a completely different world than, uh, than teaching. Both work very hard, but just uh, the jobs are very different. Um, how, how being an assistant principal helped me prepare to be a principal was I was able to refine skills and working with people, get a very clear focus on um, what we needed to have clarity on within the school and uh, what we need to focus on in order to make sure that all of our students were learning at high levels. I learned a lot of that the hard way. <laughs> I made a lot of mistakes at Pine View High School, um, mistakes that I'm, I'm grateful for because I learned a lot from. Uh, for example, at Pine View High School, uh, I was very familiar with the professional learning community model, had read a lot of books, and gone to conferences, um, came back and, and tried to implement structural change to Pine View High School, common assessments, implementing, implementing collaboration, Uh, A lot of these structural pieces and then I sat back and waited for the magic to happen (laughs) uh, you can imagine what happened nothing (laughs) I think my teachers there just rolled their eyes and said oh Bob's been to another conference again right Uh, but I but I forgot a a very important piece in that process and that's the culture of the school and this culture of the school needs to be prepared for for structural change and uh, so it was a valuable lesson that I learned as I went and became a principal at uh, at Fossil Ridge, was the importance of a school culture in regards to structural change.
0: Right, and and let's talk a little bit about that. How did you? Um, what barriers did you see at Pineview that were preventing the culture first, and then after you answer that, what um, what things do you need to do to set up a a school to be prepared for uh, the the structural change or institutional change.
1: Uh huh. Um, at at Pineview High School, like I said, I, I I was a little misguided in my efforts in in tried to implement just immediate structural change without addressing the culture of the school. Uh, the culture of the school needs to be prepared, and and I can talk both Pineview High School and Fossil Ridge, but you have to come to consensus in a school on what the purpose for your school is. We spend a lot of time writing mission statements. Uh, in fact, I took part at Pineview High School and I was there, and uh, we spent an entire year writing a mission statement and debating which words we should use within this mission statement. And in the end, it was a document that was put on the shelf and we went back to business as usual. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a, I'm a fan of, of I'm, not, I'm not saying that mission statements aren't important, but I think there needs to be a compelling reason, a compelling purpose for why we exist as a school and, and schools need to be able to articulate what their purpose is. And so you need to have that conversation about why we exist as a school, why we're here, why this school was built. Um, once you, once you come to consensus on a purpose, then you're able to, um, begin to describe the, the vision of a perfect school. Uh, I've always, I, I've often described this as just your school's vision and what you want to become, what your target is and uh, in order to accomplish your purpose and once you can describe your, your perfect school, then you write collective commitments what you're willing to commit to in order to accomplish this vision and this purpose and those are three fundamentals that I learned, cultural fundamentals that I learned through the professional learning community process.
0: Okay, so to review, those three things are why do we exist as a school, what is our vision of a perfect school, and you write collective commitments to achieve that vision, correct?
1: Correct, yeah. The first is purpose, something that compels you to action. Mm -hmm. Uh, The second is is describing that perfect school or your vision. And then three, what are we going to collectively do to make sure that we meet those things? So, yeah.
0: Good, so we can do this like at a faculty meeting when school starts for – what 2 hours and and be done, right? No, it's
1: not, <laughs> it, it's not a 2 hour meeting, believe me. And and believe me when I tell you we don't we don't all view school the same and our purpose for the same uh, our, our purpose is the same. We've got uh we at Fossil Ridge we had 42 teachers, we had staff members and uh people view school the purpose very differently. And so uh I'd like to think it would be a two-hour meeting, but it's it's definitely not. Uh, all opinions have to be heard, uh, validated, but in the end, the will of the group has to move the group. Uh, otherwise we'll be paralyzed and never move. So right. there were very clear norms that we had to set as we move forward in this process.
0: Okay. So let's come back to the norms in just a sec, because I think that's important also. But how do you have these conversations? Are they always formal? Are they sometimes informal? How do you continually discuss this in the way that you're saying you need to so that everybody can be heard? How what does that process look like? Let's say somebody's going into a new school and and they're gonna be a principal there. How do they start having these conversations and when can they when can they know that the school is ready for the change?
1: These conversations happen constantly. It's it's much like a brand for a, a business. Um, these cons, these conversations happen in informal conversations with teachers, with parents, with students, uh, with stakeholders, uh, with, with teacher leaders, uh, a leadership team that's absolutely critical, and then with the faculty. And we just, uh, I don't know that we did it right or wrong, but it worked for us. Um, we had to sit in a faculty meeting. We had gone through a number of um, processes up to that, visiting informally with teachers, talking about what we were looking, uh, what we were looking to accomplish as a result of this meeting, talking with parents, with students and those things. So when we got in there, we kind of had an idea of what we were looking to accomplish. Then it became important for us to get all the voices of the teachers in the room. And I can't overemphasize that enough that all the voices of the teachers had to be in the room because if you've been in a faculty meeting, you know that there's some that will dominate a meeting or will uh, be afraid to share opinion. And it became just critical for us to have every single professional educator's voice in that room. And so we utilized uh, some discussion techniques. We utilized Post-its. Where they were able to just write their thoughts down and then post those around the room and be able to articulate what their feelings were on the purpose of our school, uh, what they were willing to commit to, different things like that, and then we were able to move forward.
0: That's awesome. So let's let's talk about that idea of every voice being heard in the in the faculty meeting. Um, you gave a couple of examples. How could you? How did you deal with a person who was dominating? A meeting what would you what would you do to pre- prevent that or tone it down or address it how would you deal with that yeah and,
1: and and when I say dominating a meeting I I don't mean that uh, in a negative light it's just as educators we're very passionate mm-hmm. and we're very passionate about our opinions and and those need to be shared and, and validated but that's why and, and coming back to the idea of norms we have to set rules for our meetings. These, these norms on how we're going to behave in our meetings. And, uh, so these norms, these establishment of these norms became critical for us and the norms of our meetings were very clear that all voices would be heard and respected. But in the end, the will of the group, uh, has to move the group. And, and we, we had discussion about this. And if we wait for a hundred percent of the people, uh, to commit, we're never going to move and so we had to come to an agreement that your voice will be heard it will be validated we will be respectful but in the end the will of this group will will move the group and so those norms became essential for us as we move forward in these planning stages
0: awesome so um let's talk about the norms for a minute how how do you establish the norms how do you how do you come to an agreement with the whole staff that this is this is the rule, the norm we're going to follow. Talk about that process, because that's a process also, right?
1: Yeah, and the process was fairly simple. I, yeah, obviously, we wanted to model respect as, as educators for our students, and so respect became very critical for us, and so that was almost a non-negotiable, that we're going to be respectful in our conversations. You don't have to necessarily agree with your colleague. Uh, in fact, we expect healthy um, disagreement and, and debate and that. Uh, but, but we also agree that we have to have consensus, that we we can't wait for everybody to be on board or commit or we'll never move. And uh, that's that's pretty just logical thinking with a group of, of professionals that everybody's not going to agree with everything, but if we wait for 100% commitment, we're never going to move as a school. And so those became kind of our our grounding norms for our meetings. And, and it took some discussion and and uh, to establish those.
0: Right. So maybe you could define what consensus means to you because people usually think consensus means everybody agrees with it. So talk about what consensus means to you because that doesn't sound like what you really mean.
1: Yeah, consensus is just the, the, the will of the group. Um, we had about 42 teachers on staff. And and we would have healthy discussions, uh, debates on direction, on our purpose, on our commitments, and different things like that. Um, but but in the end, we have to make a decision. And and so when I talk consensus, it's it's the majority of the group. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we uh, we we elicited that response through a variety of ways, through email, through uh, different things like that. We tried to um decrease the pressure that teachers had on each other um or or that was created as a result of having to make some decisions. But in the end, we had to make some very clear decisions on where we wanted to go as a school.
0: Yeah. And um I've I've heard consensus defined as um you may not agree with the decision, but you agree that the decision has been made and so you're going to exactly it. Okay, um, yeah. and then if there was a an issue that was coming up where you had something that you thought was best or you wanted to do, um, how much, so I, I don't know the right way to phrase this, so I'll, I'll try my best, how much would you push your agenda versus just go with the will of the group? So even if your idea was not the right one, um, yeah. Would you still push for it or would you um, do some maneuvering and try to get people on your side before the meeting started? How would you, how would you deal with things that were your idea, um, whether or not they ended up being the, the best idea?
1: Well, let me, let me back up and, and just remind you that I didn't have all the answers. Right. I, I probably screwed it up at Pine View as many ways as you could. I learned a lot from that experience. Uh, With that being said, I went into Fossil Ridge with some very clear ideas on on what we needed to do, but with the idea that, gosh, I've made mistakes and I'm going to continue to make mistakes. And and there were many times at Fossil Ridge when I had an idea that at the time I thought was the right thing for our school. But as we talked about it with teacher leaders um, and had these professional discussions, I realized that's not the direction that we need to go right now. I also had a a couple members on staff that I just um, I, I trusted the opinions of of my teachers, but they were a couple that were very good at being very frank with me mm-hmm. and just saying you're moving too fast, or we're not moving quick enough, or you're misguided in your thinking there. And we would have discussions about that. And I think it's critical to have critical friends like that, um, and they weren't necessarily. My friends on staff, that they were people that I trusted their opinion, and that I knew that they would very be, be very frank with me and uh, and and I think that's valuable for a principal to have those opinions.
0: Absolutely. I love how you phrase that. It's very important for us to have critical friends and and that I'm hearing the word critical as in um, people who are willing to critique you and say, this isn't right, or this is the right thing, or whatever, and let you know how you're doing, and and that is something that I think is is quite often overlooked and and not available in a lot of schools because it's 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 not easy as the leader to hear someone say you're doing this all wrong. How do you deal with that? Um, that idea that you're doing something wrong and that somebody has to tell you that and you're not aware of it. How do you reconcile that as a leader?
1: That's uh, that's just an issue of trust with your staff. Um, that that's uh, that they trust they trust the direction that we're moving as a school, but recognize that that as a principal you're fallible and and you can make mistakes. Um, I, I remember clearly as I interviewed for Fossil Ridge, one of the questions that I was asked was and I think it's an outstanding interview question by the way. But one of the questions by our interview committee was anticipate a mistake that you're going to make as a principal and how you will resolve that. And I thought that's a that's a very insightful question. In fact I've used that a lot as I've interviewed. Mm -hmm. But I recall exactly how I answered that and it's something that I felt like I I modeled throughout my principalship uh, was this. Personally I see the end and I want to get there quickly um, and I know a mistake I would make is trying to get there too quickly and losing people along the way and so how I would resolve that was finding these critical friends and I can't emphasize enough how important that that is not to have people on staff that just see things the way you do all the time. Uh, we don't grow or get better um, that you have those. Those collaborative, critical friends that you can sit down and they will tell you, "This is this is how I'm seeing it, and this is mistakes that we're making, and or we're moving too fast or too slow." Uh, that's such valuable input for any leader, whether it's in the business world or educational world or whatever.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I had a uh, just quick experience I want to share about that where I was talking to our school psychologist about something. And um, she is that critical friend for me. And she said, um, you know, Jethro, when you when you say this stuff, you're losing the message that you're trying to communicate. And the way that you said that made it so that I didn't think about the argument you were making. I just thought about what you had said. And I what I said was this tiny offhand comment that had nothing to do with what we were talking about but right. she recognized that it was um that it was messing up my message and she uh-huh. said to me you're doing it all wrong and i can't even comment on the the issue <laughs> at hand because you threw me off with this little thing that you said and it was so it was so enlightening and felt i felt so great that she was comfortable enough to say that to me and right. that it it was totally right too and So I was able to reframe that. So when I talked to someone else about it, I didn't say it in the same way. And so we were able to have a conversation about the actual issue, which was, which was really good. So, so I've seen that too. And it's, it's incredibly powerful and it's, it's, it's,
1: it's, it's, it's invaluable for a leader. And I, and I don't want to confuse a critical friend from those, those cynics that are on staff, because you will have those that are just very cynical on staff and, and uh, just disagree with everything. Mm -hmm. These are critical friends that uh, will give you uh, guidance, direction, counsel, advice, um, and help you become better. That's what we're in education for.
0: Right, absolutely. Thank you so much for downloading and listening to this podcast. Please subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher, and please feel free to give us a rating on Stitcher Radio or on iTunes so that we can help spread the word about how much we're learning in this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones.